and welcome to another edition of Spark at the Match. I'm your host, Narelle Sindos, and joining me, two very familiar names in the New Zealand football scene, Michael Burgess and Ricardo Bull. How are we, gents? Good, thanks, Narelle. How are you? Good, thank you. Michael, how are you doing? Excellent, excellent. The sun's shining. It's a, it's a great, uh, great time to be talking football. Absolutely. Well, we are well and truly into the business end of the season now. For some teams, just eight games remaining, most of them nine. Michael, I'll start with you. What have you made of the last few weeks of the Premier League? I guess what's caught my eye is the battle for the top four and the battle for third and fourth place. I can't remember a better contest in that area for a long time. Just the fact that we've got still five or six teams in contention for that fourth place. I feel like, as we talked about last time, City is sort of sailing away with the title, so there's a bit less of an intrigue there. But certainly what happens with third and fourth place is really completely up in the air because you've got five or six teams all in contention for it. You've got Spurs who are so up and down. You've got West Ham having their best season in, in what, 30 years, which is absolutely wonderful. You've got Villa up there um, contending for a while. You've got Everton hanging around. You've got Liverpool. Who knows what Liverpool are going to do? So that's really been um, been fantastic to watch. Yeah, it has. It's the uh, the traditional Everton Cup, isn't it? Seventh place, is, uh, as 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 they call it. Well, I mean, how Liverpool would it be to deny Everton even that uh, this season? Because that's where Liverpool currently sit. Um, you're right. It's a, it's a very tight run. I mean, if you look at Chelsea, what 51 points, the Hammers on 49. It's 48 for Spurs, Liverpool 46 tied with Everton. Uh, any of those teams could could grab that spot, really. Um, I think Chelsea are in the box seat. But uh, the other thing that I've really been enjoying is the scrap at the bottom. I mean, because I think two of the best teams to watch at the moment are Fulham and Brighton, who are both down there. They're both playing some really good football. They both have the same issue, is that once they get within the, uh, in, the, in the penalty area, they're not converting chances enough. But they are playing some fantastic football. And I was stoked to see Brighton put Newcastle to the sword the other day because they are a turgid team to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, Newcastle are down there as well. I guess my next question is, who do you want to see survive out of Fulham, Newcastle, Brighton, let's be honest, West Brom and Sheffield United have probably gone burgers, right? Sheffield United, yeah, very sad story. The manager's gone as well now. And, and for a team that achieved so much uh, last season, it's it's let's hope, look, let's hope they can bounce back. Um, the point I'd make about Newcastle, that they, they, they've just been awful. I mean, they were a team that I think in, in early February, they were about 10 points clear of the relegation zone and now they've been sucked right into it. And they are probably in the worst form of any team in, in the Premier League. But the issue for Fulham, who, as Ricardo said, are playing really well. The issue for Fulham is, will they run out of time? Will they run out of rope? They're playing really well, but they're still a couple of points behind Newcastle. The Magpies have a game in hand. But I love this. I love this about the Premier League. I don't know how they do it every year, but they always come up with these crazy uh, fixture scenarios so the last game of the season is Fulham hosting Newcastle at Craven Cottage. And there's a chance that fans could be back. That'll be the first weekend that fans are back. So you've got probably, possibly, the decider to see who goes down to the championship being played in the last day of the season at Fulham against Newcastle. So that would be absolutely riveting. That'd be fantastic, all right. It's, uh, it's going to be a great watch. And I think Newcastle the week before play someone else down there as well. They've, they've, they've got a horror, bit of a horror run. And uh, the way they're playing, to be honest, I'm, I'm surprised that we aren't starting this 
pod by saying, oh, Steve Bruce has been sacked. Who's in at Newcastle? Because after losing 3-0 away at a relegation rival, I was like, man, he can't have much longer in that job. And if you're Newcastle, I'll tell you what, I'll be looking at Chris Wilder now and saying, this guy knows how to get us out of the championship. He can build a decent team. Um, he knows... Uh, he knows the Premier League now. He's had a couple of seasons in there. Sure, he's not had a great season this season, but put the right structure around him and the money and resources Newcastle have got, uh, you know, and he's free. He do, you, you don't have to buy him out of a contract. I'd be getting him. But uh, yeah, uh, to answer your question, Narelle, I really hope Fulham stay up. They play some great football. Scotty Parker's a great young manager. Steve Bruce, I think, needs to just uh, to, to to go to the pub and, and sit there with his half pints of bitter um, and, oh, and, and, yeah. and give it away. Um, and, you know, I think Newcastle might even be the best thing for the club if they go down, uh, just so that they can uh, start again and, 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 you know, look to rebuild. Such a huge club, though. It'd be strange watching them playing the championship but you have to admit the the battle for survival is just as good if not better the battle for the top four and Europa League playoffs and I think you guys touched on before Chelsea Thomas Tuchel still unbeaten and he's nearly been in the role for two months so I think they're a shoo-in to make the top four and obviously we've got City I think United will stay in second place and also Leicester they've managed to stay up there as well. So I think it's going to be a very tough battle. And I think looking at the table, there's only 10 points separating fourth to 10th. And it's just going to be a crazy ride. Michael, are you ready for it? I am. I am definitely. Um, there's a couple of things I think we'll look at is that uh, Leicester, they, they are looking good, but they will have this FA Cup distraction because this is massive for them. Uh, they're in the FA Cup semi-final. First time they've been in the last four of the FA Cup for 40 years. So that's a little distraction. They've also lost a couple of players, but they should be fine. They've got enough points to stay third place. But the, your interesting point about Chelsea, going so well, got a deep squad, but they, they're still in the FA Cup too and in the Champions League. So how much of a distraction is that? The other thing for Chelsea, the big challenge for them, I would have thought, if you look at three of their last four games, they've got City away, Arsenal at home, and Leicester. So that's a tough finish. So if they have some wobbles in the next few weeks, then it's really tricky with the with the run-in they've got for Chelsea. Yeah, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it, Burge? As a Liverpool fan, <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. <laughs> hey, hey, Liverpool, here's some good news about Liverpool, guys. We've only got four games at Anfield. Only four more games at Anfield. <laughs> what a relief. I never thought I'd say that, but what a relief. Um, but th since you touched on that, Ricardo, you'll love this, that Liverpool season will probably be a big chunk of Liverpool season. They've got to go to Old Trafford. Mm. Um, a bit of a revenge match, hopefully, but they've got to go to Old Trafford and they've got to go to Arsenal. So I would have thought you've got to get four points out of those six points, don't you, at least for Liverpool to try and make a miraculous uh, turnaround and get towards that fourth place. I mean, I'm still hopeful. It's possible they could make fourth place, but they'll need to win, what, eight games, which yeah. the way they've been playing is hard to see, although they will be refreshed after this international break and they've also got the Champions League, which seems to be sort of keeping them um, resuscitated. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what you said about Leicester, too, because I think while they've had injury problems, um, we talked about Brendan Rodgers last time. He's proven again what a canny manager he is because he's reinvented them. You know, they traditionally played with a 10 in James Madison. And when he was injured, they brought Harvey Barnes into that. And he's injured now as well. So two of their most creative outlets. So what's he done? He's gone to three at the back. 
played five in midfield, played two up top, and it's causing teams problems. It caused United problems in the FA Cup quarterfinal, as we saw, running the channels either side of the centre-back and opening up the middle. We saw Yuri Tillerman score a great goal there. I think he's doing very, very good things. And if you look at the top four, they're probably the ones that most people outside the top four think that's the team that we can maybe catch. But I don't know because, you know, are those guys, Madison and uh, Barnes, potentially only a couple of, way, a couple of weeks from coming back, and uh, he looks like they've found another way to play in a, in a way that is um, with Ihenacho scoring goals now uh, is, is paying off. Well, Tottenham, another team that I would like to touch on, they are in the mix as well in the hunt for the top four. And I was reading an article the other day, which I found really interesting, is that Harry Kane has been shying away from the media, which I admittedly didn't notice, but he's not been forthcoming with pre- or post-match interviews, which is uh, a little out of character for him. So you just wonder if maybe he doesn't want to be asked with the tough questions maybe about his future and if Tottenham is a club where he can achieve the things he wants to. I mean, turning 28 this year. Michael, I'm not sure if you have a take on that whole saga. I think he um, he has to leave. He'd be crazy not to leave Spurs. And I was talking with a couple of big Spurs fans the other day and they kind of agree. They they sort of say that, look, this is his last chance to go somewhere and win something. And I would have thought that a club like PSG would be a great option. Pochettino's there, who, you know, they, they've got the special the special bond. He'll win some French league titles with PSG, but the main carrot is he'll be playing in the Champions League every year. He's a wonderful player. He's absolutely fantastic. I mean, you made a great point, Narelle. He's, got, he's the leading in the Golden Boot, 17 goals. And then he's got 13 assists. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable what he does, but he's not going to win trophies at Spurs. I mean, they are in the League Cup final, but he's not going to win trophies at Spurs. He's not going to win the Premier League. That's pretty much certain. And he's probably not going to win the Champions League there either. So I don't think too many Spurs, fit. they'd be upset, but they wouldn't begrudge him because he's given amazing service. What's he got? More than 200 goals. He's, what is he now? He's the second or third highest goal scorer in the club's history. I think he should do a Gareth Bale. Go for three or four seasons. Come back when he's um, when he's 32. He'll still be good for another couple of years, and it would just it would just round out his career nicely. I, I don't think he he should end his career uh, at Spurs. No. Be interesting to see what happens there because see Daniel Levy's already talking about it, saying, "Well, if he goes, we want 120 million euro for him," oh. uh, and oh. I'm like, "I can get uh, I can get Haaland." From Bruce Dortmund's got a, a clause in his contract. You can get him for a hundred million, and I'll have twenty million in my pocket. And he's twenty and doesn't have an injury record. So, um, you know, is is Kane going to have to force the issue? How's that going to go down with fans? Because that could uh, cause some trouble between him and Levy and potentially Mourinho as well. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, uh, some United fans have been talking. Oh, you know, I'd rather go get Kane than get Haaland. But no, no thanks for me. I definitely uh, put all my eggs in the Haaland basket. Um, but just, I mean, you know, to, to I, just to add a bit of levity to this, a mate of mine who, who was an Arsenal fan did send me a message the other day that said that police are investigating a couple of break-ins that happened. Tony Adams' place got burgled, apparently. He lost 66 England caps, a European Cup winner's medal, a three FA Cup winner's medals, a League Cup winner's medal, two charity shields, a couple of league medals as well. Harry Kane's place got broken into. They took a jug and a toaster. So, I mean, you know, that pretty much sums it up. Oh, that's a pretty depressing way to put it. But, I mean, yep, facts don't lie. Um, we have to talk about Chris Wood, though. And 
That crazy goal that he scored against Arsenal, uh, saving Burnley a precious point. The only other time I've seen a goal scored like that was Div 5 in the Women's League on a Sunday. Very dusty Sunday. Michael, what did you make of that? It's typical Chris Wood. You know, it's what he does. I mean, it was it was crazy play by Arsenal. I think it was um, uh, Shaka from memory. It was crazy. But Wood anticipated. He put himself in the right place. But not just that. He adjusted his body really well at the last moment to make sure it didn't hit his hands or his arms and, and then deflected it in off his off his chest. But it's classic Chris Wood. I mean, he got that goal that ricocheted off his face um, for Leeds a couple of years, uh, what would be about five years ago now. But he's just that, he's just always thinking, he's always on. And it, it was pretty crazy to see that in the Premier League. Uh, but the, 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 uh, the good thing was, I think it sort of kick-started him because the next week he got that amazing goal against Everton from the edge of the area, side foot, just a wonderful finish. Um, so now he's on, what's he on, six goals for the season. He's probably going to, He's probably going to go close to double figures again uh, for the fourth season in a row, which would put him something like, I think there's only six or seven players that have done that over the last three seasons, and he'd be in that club again. So he's turning into a, a wonderful record there. I mean, he's up to 41 goals in the Premier League. He's still 29. He's going to get to 50. I mean, what a what a milestone for a kid from from uh, only Hunger Sports and then, and then from Hamilton. Mm. Yeah, no, that was a great goal he scored against Everton. And yeah, like you say, just a good striker's instinct being in the right place to not for ricochet in off your chest or your face or your bum or whatever, just put something <laughs> in the way and get it in the net, right? Um, so that's that's fantastic for him. And yeah, I mean, uh, that goal, the one against Everton you talked about too, what a finish that was. Just a pity that Dwight McNeil topped him because I think it was probably, that almost would have been the goal of the weekend and McNeil did that. And it was like, oh, okay, here we go. Uh, but no, going great guns. And I mean, I, I guess it brings up that conversation doesn't it? You know, when we talk about Kiwis in the Premier League, we talk about Ryan Nelson, we talk about Winston um, as well. We talk about Chris Wood and maybe a little bit of Simon Elliott chat in there for the, his time at, at, at Fulham and Bolton as well. But yeah, I think uh, he, he'll go down as one of New Zealand's greatest ever exports. I mean, if you're putting a New Zealand all-time 11 together, it'd be him and Roofer up front, wouldn't it? Well, Burnley though, 15th um, at the international break. Ricardo, switch things up come back to mm -hmm. you do you think Burnley are safe yes yeah Burnley are definitely safe um when you're given that she, uh, you know I think we all agree West Brom are down Sheffield United are down there's one other and I think if you look at the what have they got I think Fulham are on 26 points uh Burnley are on 33 Newcastle are on 28 I, I just think they've got enough of a buffer now and they will pick up more points I mean uh, this could be the season that you see the least number of points keep a team up as well because of the way those bottom teams have gone yeah, least number of points, if you're interested, is uh, 34 points, actually. West Bromwich Albion, uh, pretty, uh, I think they survived on the last day of the season. But Burnley, the thing with Burnley Norell is they've just got the knack of getting results when they need to. So they often, they will get beaten by the big teams, sometimes big margins, but they tend to beat their rivals and some of the mid-table clubs. And I still think Nick Pope, their keeper, he's one of the top three keepers in the Premier League. I think he's, he's amazing. So they're, they're rock solid there. And Chris Wood and Vidra... Uh, developing a really nice combination and they will score goals. So yeah, Burnley, which is great news from a New Zealand point of view, the Claret should be there again next season. Is, is, is Wood and Vidra the best little and large partnership we've seen in the Premier League since <laughs> Kyle Quinn and uh, Kevin Phillips at Sunderland back uh, about 100 years ago? Or Peter Crouch and anyone else? Um, yeah, true. Yeah, it's a, um, it's, a, it's a really nice to see the, 
the big man and the little man, the sort of Trevor Brooking, Kevin Keegan. Yeah, it's uh, you don't see it much these days, and it's quite quite a good throwback. Well, speaking of the Premier League's best, we uh, reached the main discussion point for this podcast. The best ever Premier League team of all time. And of course, in recent times, you'd have to say it's a toss-up between Liverpool and Manchester City. Obviously, City breaking the record for most number of points scored in a season, but Liverpool winning the title with the most number of games to spare. But my question is, looking at this in a whole in about 10 years' time, and we do look back on this era... How do these current teams compare to teams that have gone before them and have achieved the same things, Michael? Big question, Narelle. A really big question. Uh, it just depends how you how you measure it. If we go back through some of the teams that I've really enjoyed or admired, um, you have to look at Chelsea, 2004, 2005. Uh, not only did they lose, what was it, one game, got to 95 points, conceded 15 goals, which is still a record, but what I look to look at is who they're up against. So Jose Mourinho up against Alex Ferguson, still at his peak, really, and Arsene Wenger. And he took down both of those teams. So that Chelsea team is pretty special. The Leicester team is pretty special for me. Obviously not the greatest team, but 5,000 to 1. Uh, to me, that is the, the greatest achievement. Uh, so certainly they, they rank right up there. And the other team I'll throw in there, maybe you can come back to me. I'll come back with the, the, <laughs> the finale. But the other team I'll throw in there, I'll, I haven't given you my best one yet. I'll come back to you after the, Ricardo. But the other team I'll throw in there would be the Invincibles. Arsenal, 2003-2004, didn't lose a game. Burkamp, Perez, uh, Henri at his peak. So they're, they're three teams that would be in the conversation. Not the best team, but they're three teams in the conversation. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, Burgess covered a lot of good points there. Um, and <laughs> with his with his Liverpool blinkers on, has not managed to mention Manchester United, a team uh, who I believe Burgess are the only Premier League team to win the title back to back to back. And uh, in the middle of that run was uh, the treble season when they also won the Champions League and the FA Cup in the same season. So I think, you know, if you look at that team, it was Schmeichel and goal. Uh, Dennis Irwin, uh, Gary Neville as the fullbacks. You know, you've got people like Yap Stam, uh, Rio Ferdinand as, as the centre-backs. You've got Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, David Beckham, Brian Giggs, Ruud Van Nistelrooy, uh, or Dwight York, or Teddy Sheringham, or Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I mean, that was a team that was absolutely stacked top to bottom. And while they might not have set records for the most points, they went and they were their consistency was just amazing. They would just do it year after year after year. And the drive that they had, I think, was something to behold. It'd be great to watch that era in United in the league at the moment and how they uh, how that would work going up against this Liverpool team and, and, and the City team. Uh, because I think there's a lot of good, good conversations there. On Liverpool, and, you know, I've thought a lot about this. It remind, Liverpool, uh, what we've seen this season with when they lo lost Van Dijk and how that affected the team, it reminded me as a United fan of United when we lost Brian Robson back in the day. You know, in the 80s, if Brian Robson went down injured for any length of time, Union United were going to go on a terrible run. They couldn't win without him. And, and I wonder, if, in terms of if you're talking about teams, if you can put Liverpool in that conversation when you take that one guy out and things tend, uh, fall apart a bit. Yeah, sorry, Narelle. I think I, my channel got stuck a bit. I got stuck in the, I think I got onto a Manchester United podcast for a minute. But now I'm back with you, which is great. But no, just to, just to finish, if I could, to, for me, the two greatest teams, actually, I can't split them. One is the Man City team from two seasons ago, um, who 
chased down Liverpool. Liverpool won, lost one game all season, and Man City won, what was it, 13 in a row to beat them. And that was an amazing Liverpool team. So for Man City to do that was something else. And the other team, Ricardo would be happy. The other team, I think, has to be included as the greatest of all time is actually a Man United team from 2007-2008. Uh, they won the European Cup as well. But that team, I still remember it, Cristiano Ronaldo at his peak. I think he got 40 goals that season. Plus they had Rooney. Plus they had Tevez. Uh, they had Skulls. They had Giggs. I, I thought that was a wonderful team. But the reason they were wonderful was uh, they were against an amazing Chelsea team. I think they finished two points ahead of Chelsea and an amazing Arsenal team. And they finished uh, four points ahead of Arsenal. And that, for me, was the last comp I can remember with a, with a true three-way fight for the title. And that defines great teams. So they would be my, my, my top two. Well, see, I've just got one, unlike both of you <laughs> Sorry, if we're like smorgasbord. Yeah. No, it's all right. Obviously, you know, you've got a lot more experience with me in watching the Premier League. But in the 10 years or so that I've really followed it, the first thing that I sort of got told about when I got into it was the Invincibles. And I was like, what's this Invincibles team? And obviously... It's unrivaled, isn't it? Going through an entire season undefeated. No one's matched it, and I don't think anyone ever will. I think Liverpool, yeah, we did come close. And that, that whole season, all I remember is just every Arsenal fan, just, but please, just <laughs> one. Like, please, that's all we've got. And, I mean, yeah, you look at Arsenal now, and they're a completely different side with the team of old, but I just don't think it, it'll be matched ever. And I really don't see how you can go past that when you do sort of argue for the best ever Premier League team. I think it's it speaks for itself, really, when you look on paper what they achieved. You can't see another one, Narelle? You can't see another team going unbeaten? No, I think Liverpool would have by now, or Manchester City. I'm not sure if that's just because the other Premier League teams are getting better and it's a better competition now, but I, I don't see that happening ever again. Yeah, so for you, Norell, it's a toss-up between the Arsenal Invincibles and Preston North End from 18, uh, 1889-90, who were the only other team to do <laughs> That's it. Right. That's right. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, Michael, if I had to press you for one then, just one? Uh, just one, I'll go for the... Um, it, I don't like to, to... I would normally say Manchester City, but for me, they are still playing with Monopoly money and everyone else has got real money, so it kind of counts them out. So I would actually have to say the Manchester United team of... 2007, 2008, even though it, it, it kind of kind of hurts me to say it. But hey, you know, they were, they were amazing. I'll give you a cuddle later, Birch. It'll be all right, mate. We need to get us all together, I think. We do, definitely. Well, gents, while I've got you here, is there anything else you want to add? Any bold predictions when we see the Premier League resume in a few weeks' time? Bold predictions. Mm. Um, I think the top four stays it is. I don't know that that's bold. Yeah but I think that stays as it is. Um, and for me, Fulham stay up, Newcastle go down. Interesting. Michael? Uh, I will say Patrick Bamford becomes a becomes the first English player to win the Golden Boot, apart from Harry Kane. There you go. He's on, he's on 14 goals, but he's going to go nuts between now and the end of the season. Kane's going to get injured. Mo Salah's forgotten how to score goals. So Patrick Bamford will win the Golden Boot. There you go. Large odds on that. Have a think about that one. I think I need him in my fantasy team. <laughs> you do. He's honest. going. Yeah. He's, he's going amazing. I put him in mine a couple of weeks ago. Did you? It paid off. Yeah. yeah it's been good. You're, but you're but good I, tonight, yeah. I think one thing we will see in these last 10 games, personally, is it will become harder and harder to predict because I really wonder if some players and teams are going to start to hit the wall because we're forgetting, you know, these guys aren't robots. 
and they've been playing non-stop since basically June. Remember the, the last season resumed last June, and I remember speaking to Chris Wood. He had like two weeks off or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they normally have six, seven weeks. He had, they all had two weeks off, and then they're back into it. So they've been going non-stop since June, and this season it seems like they've been playing what um, they hardly have a break. They've been playing every three, four days. So I just wonder, the last 10 round games of the season, it might get a bit weird because I, I just think players, especially players in teams with the smaller squads, will, might really struggle to keep up their standards and you just won't know what to expect. Well, Michael Ricardo, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I guess we can enjoy not having to get up at crazy hours of the morning for the next two weeks, unless you're going to watch some international football. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a very interesting ride and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Darrell. Yeah, Ricardo's got that German second division stuff to get up for, so don't worry about that. Yeah, I'll be all over it, mate. All over it.